The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I'm your host as always, Damon Martin, and he is back for the attack after a two week break from the show on vacation. He is UFC legend, Matt Brown. Matt, welcome back. It's been a, been a weird show without your own man. Yeah. I missed all you motherfuckers. So I had to come back <laughs> even though I was chilling on the fucking beach. I was like, man, this just isn't as good as hanging out with Damon Martin doing <laughs> and talking to MMA fans. Dude, the, the photo you posted on Instagram with you drinking out of a coconut, but then somebody remade it with like the hellfire behind it, it had to be like the best, the best Photoshop of all time. It was also like the worst timing ever Photoshopped with the shit going on in Hawaii. <laughs> that's yeah, true. Like, that's what, that's what most of the replies were. They're like, like, bro, can you be a little sensitive? <laughs> I mean, you know, people are uber fucking sensitive online, but. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of get that. Yeah, my bad, yeah. whatever. I, was, I just thought it was funny because you're like the metal dude. And like, you can't be just totally enjoying a beach. You got to look like you're in a badass, like, you know, heavy metal concert or something. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. Drinking out of the skull. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, re- your reputation precedes you, Matt. Which I, I would have actually enjoyed that more than being on the beach drinking out of uh, fucking coconut. But <laughs> it's a situation I was in, you know. We do it all for the nookie. <laughs> the rare occasion when we take a break i took a break earlier this summer and it's like you go away for a week and it's like the weirdest most bizarre thing you come over and it's like a whole different world when you come back i, I mean but yeah i'm you're probably like me right like i did for my lady so we could me and her could go there and fucking be romantic for two weeks right <laughs> good time though right like it's good to get away a little yeah. bit yeah i mean i don't give a shit like I used to just sit in the hotel. Like she goes to the beach. I'll go for a little bit. I'll sit in the hotel, you know, and be like, Hey, whenever I'm going to be in the air conditioning. So um, when you're, whenever you're ready to get laid, like I'll be here. And he <laughs> <laughs> goes for a couple hours, comes back and do what we got to do. I, uh, I've never, I've never been a big like beach 
But like I went to Hawaii years ago and I had a blast, but we were there for a rumble on the rock show for BJ Penn's old organization. And so like we got, we got like beach time. But we also did a lot of sightseeing stuff and, you know, went around the whole island and everything. And it was, you know, we were hanging out with Shogun Hua that week, which was cool. So it was like kind of like a work slash vacation, but like my girl, my girlfriend's always like, I want to go to the beach. I'm like, the beach to me is boring. Like sitting on a beach for like right. hours at a time and just roasting in the sun seems like the least fun thing ever to me like i don't i need to do like i want to do shit like i don't like just sitting on a chair i can't relax that way like my mind is always working on something so like that's not relaxing to me yeah i read a book or something i guess (laughs) (laughs) once you get drunk like everything's fun that's true i guess yeah like here's here's another coconut drink go ahead and drink up you'll feel you'll feel better yeah which is like the weirdest thing to me because i'm like when I'm that hot, I'm like, dude, I do not want to fucking drink. I want some fucking water. <laughs> yeah, like I'll sit in it, I'll sit in the room in the air conditioning and get drunk with you, but like, I don't want to. Why you want to sit out here in this fucking oven and get drunk? Yeah. Then you go in the water and there's the sharks and you know I just dude I I saw Jaws. I don't need to see. I don't need to get in the ocean. Like I'm good. You know, like yeah. Or where I was at, there was a lot of jellyfish. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've seen a few people get stung. Yeah, dude, I, I I respect the ocean too much to go in there. I'm not. That's not a place made for humans. I'm good, you know. Like I, no. I've seen. I'm, I I don't I don't need to take the chance that there's going to be a you know a shark coming for me in the in the water. I'll be good. I'm. You know, I can I can see it. If I get if it goes beyond like my feet, I'm good. I don't need to go out and swim in the ocean. I can go to a swimming pool if I want to swim that badly. Yeah, that's it, man. It's monster soup, man. <laughs> but you know we can't tweet this because you know. You get a lot of hate on Twitter when you don't say the right thing. I come to find out. Uh, yeah, that happens. That happens. Uh, speaking of things that were Twittered, uh, and I, <laughs> I stepped in my own pile of dung last week uh, doing my UFC 292 preview, where we now have a new UFC bantamweight champion of the world. Sugar Sean O'Malley gets the job done. Second round knockout over Aljamain Sterling. I should know better than to ever believe anything is a sure thing in the sport. I would have sworn Aljamain Sterling winning was as close to a sure thing. I thought he had every mm-hmm. advantage over Sean O'Malley, with the exception of the knockout power on the feet. But I just thought, you know what? He's going to get inside. He's going to drag it to the ground, and he's going to choke him out, or he's going to put him away that way, or he's going to dominate him on the ground. None of those things happened. Uh, <laughs> Sean, Sean O'Malley caught him with a, a big right hand in the second round, knocked him out. Uh, Matt, you had your Twitter last night, which did crack me up when you posted about, basically, I don't see a way Sean O'Malley can win, and then you know, a few hours later, well, this this tweet didn't age very well. <laughs> That's it, man. It did not age well at all. That was, in retrospect, that might have been my worst tweet in history, <laughs> but... But, you know, like Sean, to me, is he kind of reminds me, it, it, just for me personally, not not necessarily overall, but a little Conor McGregor, right? Where, uh, at least, again, for me personally, where you remember, I completely discounted Conor McGregor. I said, dude, he's not going to fucking beat Aldo. I didn't think he'd beat, I think, Max Holloway on his way up. I kept saying, dude, this guy's not all that. And then the motherfucker goes out and is all that. But is Sugar going to do what Connor did? I don't know about that. But, um, man, you know, just kept proving me wrong. And, you know, he, I just, uh, you got to give props to Sean. Um, You know, the difference between him and Connor was like, Connor, again, I'll I'll say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like a 13 second knockout is not nearly as impressive as 
what Sean O'Malley did there, where he set it up. He had a great game plan, um, you know, played the game to the highest level from beginning to end, stuck to his guns and fucking landed that perfect shot at the perfect time. What was, yeah, listen, take nothing away from Connor and Aldo, which by the way, you know, I'm pretty sure Matt Brown still owes me some money from that fight from the one random time we wagered on a fight when he still regrets that. And I bet on Connor, he bet on Aldo, but that's neither here nor there. Um, (laughs) What, what is, what was so, what was so beautiful about O'Malley's performance was exactly what you said. He set up that punch. There was no like, uh, and this is, again, I'm not taking away from, from Connor. I'm saying like, Aldo charged at Connor and, and Connor did what he's supposed to. He, he stepped back and made him pay for it. But that was just such a quick sequence. We never really got to see the setup. You know what I mean? It was just like a one, you know, bang, bang kind of thing. Sean was setting that up throughout the first round. He was baiting Aljamain to come forward on him and trying that same feint over and over again, trying to get Aljamain to bite. And Aljamain, to his credit, didn't bite early. But in that second round, he came after him and stepped in and threw that left hand and O'Malley, it's like he saw it's like he saw dinner table. He's just like, ooh, I'm gonna feast on this. And he just absolutely buzzed. And if you watch the replay in slow in slow motion, you could almost see like I know maybe I'm reading too much into this, Matt, but if you watch it in slow motion when they watch it, when you play play the replay, you can almost see it in, in Aljo's eyes because he closed his eyes as he's about to get hit, and you're just like, he knows it's coming. Like he realizes he messed up. And and Sean measured him for it. Like it was really brilliant execution and the way he set it up and he stayed patient. That first round was not great. Yeah. Let's be honest. That was not a good first round, but that's because Sean wasn't fighting outside himself. And then basically it was like, it was a, it was almost like a, a game of chicken. Who's going to, who's going to make the mistake first. Sean's like, I'm not doing it. And Al Jermaine's the one who made the mistake and Sean made him pay for it. That's it. Yeah. Not that first round may not have been anything impressive, but you can see you know, well, in retrospect, you know, you could see Sean just downloading all the data in that first round, right? Great footwork, great movement. I, I think uh, this morning when I woke up and checked Twitter, I mean, there was just, uh, you know, breakdown after breakdown of all the different things he did, kind of the ways that he ended up getting to where he got to. And it, I mean, it was really, really impressive. And the fact that he did it with one punch like that against Al Jermaine, who's not really a you know, known as a chinny guy, so to speak, um, you know, and, and of course it wasn't just a one punch knockout. He ended up finishing him, um, which brings us to our next point. Did you think the stoppage is early or cause you know, I, I, and I, I think we're probably going to agree on this where if he would have let it keep going, like I wouldn't have been like, Oh, he should have stopped it. But at the same time, my gut feeling was like they stopped it too early. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, you know, if I was the ref in that situation, you know, I might have pulled the trigger there, too. What do you say, Damon Martin? Yeah, I don't think it was a terrible stoppage. Like me personally, would I have probably, you know, again, I'm I'm the I'm the viewer on the outside looking in. I'm not Mark Goddard. Mark Goddard is a tremendous referee, so I'm not going to you know, question his judgment. He's actually one of the guys who typically makes really good judgment with stopping fights. So yeah. in that moment, I don't think it was terrible. Would I would I have liked to have seen him get a, you know, a few more seconds in there just to see if he could grab a leg or, or you know, hold on or, or, you know, recover in that moment. And again, I know. You're supposed to judge every fight the same, but it's a championship fight. Like you want a guy, you really want to let a guy go out on a shield. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that moment, like my head, I'm like, just let it go a few more seconds. You know what I mean? If, if, if Aljamain's clearly not making any movements to better his, to get better where he's at, um, 
then yeah, stop it. But again, I don't really have a huge issue with the stoppage. When I rewatched it, Sean with those long ass arms of his, man, he was reaching down and punching Aljamain pretty good, even from like the top position. Like he wasn't laying down, he was like standing over him and his long ass arms kept coming down and tagging him. So I don't have a huge problem with it, but I probably would have let it go a few more seconds. Just again, I don't like there to be any question. Not that I want to see Aljamain get hurt or like break his orbital bone or anything crazy like that. I don't want to see that, certainly, but um it's a championship fight i feel like you gotta you gotta give him every possible avenue to potentially come back from that but again i don't think it was a huge i don't think it was like a terrible stoppage or anything yeah i feel that you know i I was thinking about this earlier i I don't know exactly how you would do something like this but i would love to see some kind of science or a study or something on you know what the difference would be between say like a katona gibson that fight earlier where they they were just slobber knocking punching the hell out of each other the whole fight the amount of damage taken in a fight like that versus what if Aljamain took another five shots you know i mean he was obviously hurt but it's like does do those extra shots when you're out or when you're close to out are those more damaging to your brain than when you're just simply standing there and you know, taking these shots. And I, I always wondered about that because like how, how much of a risk are you really at when you're, you know, when you're rocked or you're buzzed or whatever, and you're taking extra shots. I don't know. Just a little side note to bring up for this just been on my mind since that fight. You're not wrong. I mean, I, we've, I mean, they've said this through, through science for years. And again, I'm certainly not a doctor, but you know, the big discussion with boxing, it's not the big knockouts. It's the repeated blows to the head that do the most damage. And I mean, that's why box. Yeah, that's what, and that's why, and that's why boxing, it happens because in boxing, you're taking three, 400 shots over a 12 round fight. You know what I mean? Like, it's not you getting hit by Mike Tyson one time and you go down. It's the 400 shots you take over a 12 round period and doing that for a 20, 30 fight career. Um, that's generally where you see it. You know what I mean? And, and I think like we all know the story, uh, incredible story was run on MMA fighting last year uh, on, uh, on um, Spencer Fisher. You know, Spencer Fisher was never a guy like he, he wasn't like when you think about Spencer Fisher, what do you remember about Spencer Fisher it was because he went in these wars. Like he got in these incredible drawn out three round bat just battles. You know what I mean? And that is typically where you see more long-term damage is from that. Now, again, I'm not advocating that we should just let guys get their head knocked off when they're already, you know, basically concussed. I'm not advocating for that at all. But I think it's been pretty proven. It's the repeated blows to the head to do more damage than just one or two in that moment. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, Zhang Wei Li, what she did to Amanda Lemos, like 400 yeah. strikes to like 28 or whatever. It's that that's going to do more damage over over time. You know what I mean? Now, short term, you could argue that Cody Gibson, you know, I think he broke his orbital bone in that fight. At least it looked like he did. That's yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about with Aljamain. Like I wouldn't want to see him get hurt to the point where he gets his jaw broken because he's not defending himself and Sean's just, you know, blasting away with him with punches. My bigger concern in that moment isn't necessarily the concussion, not saying it shouldn't be, but that's always been my understanding. It's the repeated blows over time that do more damage right. than, you know, yeah, and that moment. That. And then, then, so that's kind of where my question is, is like, okay, you know, so did Cody Gibson and Brad Katona take more damage, right? They had more repeated damage. Then, you know, let's say uh, they let Algermain go and he took another five or 10 strikes, right? There still wouldn't have been the same number of strikes that Katona or Gibson probably landed on each other, right? Or the amount that uh, Wee Lee, Whaley or whatever, uh, hit on Lemos or, 
Um, there was even one more fight that I'm uh, it's not coming to my mind that um, you know Magni. Well, I guess he he got kicked in the leg the most, right? But, yeah. But but anyway, uh, I think you get my point, right? And it's like you know, is that how much how how damaging are those you know five or ten extra shots, or maybe say he did put them out and and me, maybe landed a couple extra like Dan Henderson on Michael Bisping. Like how much damage did that extra shot do versus, you know, if he was actually intelligently defending himself or what, or standing, right. And they call it intelligently defending himself and just taking shots, which is where I kind of uh, question that whole terminology to start with. Cause it's like, you know, a lot of guys that are fresh, straight up they don't intelligently defend themselves to begin with right so it's like <laughs> what do you call intelligently defending yourself right like like there's guys that take shots like like madmen you know <laughs> and it's like well there wasn't nothing intelligent about that defense to begin with so you know so where do you draw a line but I, I do know uh what the actual point is but i don't know just a, a thought that uh, i've been kind of thinking about yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and I listen. You know, you, you certainly don't advocate for anyone to get hurt out there. We're not, you know, certainly don't want to see someone no, no. go through a serious concussion or something like that. But again, um, you know, especially but, again, but I, I know. But like, like I said with the championship fight, like, do you want him? You want to give him every opportunity to try yeah. to come back from that? And would it have made a difference? I don't know. He looked pretty badly hurt. You know, Sean was teeing off on he him. Was. But, you know, again, like I said, it's just the stakes of the moment. You just you, you, you just want it to me. It's like because I know I know like Alto made no excuses. He didn't you know complain about the stoppage afterwards, any of that kind of stuff. But I know in the back of his head somewhere, he's like, I wish I would have had like 30 more seconds just to try yeah. you know, just to come because we, we have seen guys come back from that uh, and really bad knockdowns. And again, title fight. Everything's on the line. This is the biggest moment of your career. Yes, but again, I don't. I don't really question Mark Goddard's judgment because he's a really good referee. And you know, looking in that moment, I've seen replays where I see guys' eyes roll in the back of their head. And I didn't see it on the first take, and I'm like, well, you know what? That was a good stoppage. So, heat of the moment. You know, I guess that's kind of what you have to. You know, you, you have to. You're, you're asking these guys to judge on a split second, and you know, and I, yeah. again, it is what it is. Yeah, and I get all that, and that's why I said like I don't hate the stoppage. I'm not mad at it. And again, you know. That, I think he stopped it according to sort of what the standard is of today. I would like to make a, get that standard, move the threshold a little bit. I think they should let guys go a little bit longer. And it seems that they're so concerned with the, you know, the looking brutal or whatever. And it's like, dude, like it's a brutal sport, man. It's always going to be. Um, again, all respect to Aljamain. He was all class the whole time. You know, what? Uh, he handled it like a champion. And the way you expect a champion to handle it, and <clears throat> excuse me, you know that that's exactly what you expect out of a guy like that. Um, I th I feel like we've seen crazier comebacks, though. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And if there's a guy that could do it, it's Aljamain. Well, especially with him being a ground specialist, you know what I mean? Him being on the ground, like his yeah. his ability to maybe scramble, pull guard you know, grab a leg, things like that. But again, like yeah. I said, it's, I don't, I don't really have a huge issue with the stoppage, but would I like to have seen it gone on for a few more seconds? Yeah. Especially again, in the moment, it's a championship fight. It's a big moment. Uh, he didn't get, he didn't get, he didn't get knocked out by that shot. You know, he went down, he definitely went down from it, but um, you know, again, it is what it is. And now, you know, Sean O'Malley is champion and, and we're in the, uh, the sugar era, so to speak. Uh, this is, 
I'm not saying the UFC. I'm not saying the UFC necessarily ever roots for one outcome or another because if we've learned one thing over all these years, Matt, the UFC is a machine. Yeah, they've been without Conor McGregor for over two years now. They've been making record profits. It's not like Conor being gone has ruined the UFC or Ronda retiring has ruined the UFC or Brock Lesnar leaving ruined. It. So I don't think the UFC. I know that like it always seems like on the surface they're kind of rooting for one guy or another, but. I don't really think that's true because the, the UFC at this point is a machine. Um, you know, they're going to make their money whether one guy fights or not. But let's be honest, like Sean O'Malley is the story they want to sell. He's a contender series guy, you know, basically grew up in the UFC. He's got a huge fan base, magnetic personality, um, exciting fighting style with the knockouts. You know what I mean? He's flashy. Um, he's got everything going for him. I mean, again, I don't think the UFC was rooting for Aljamain to lose. I truly don't think they were. But let's be honest, this is kind of the scenario that would have been ideal because now you have a super marketable champion in what I believe, Matt, is like the hottest division in the sport. When you look at Bantamweight, how good it is yeah. right now. So now they have a super marketable champion. They're no longer dealing with the Aljamain Marab thing where they wouldn't fight each other because legitimately Marab is the number one contender. Like he legitimately is the number one guy, but they, and I respect them for not fighting each other. I've said that on the show many, many times, but they don't have that clouding over them anymore. You know, Aljamain, you know, I don't know. He always seemed to, you know, ever since the Peter Yan incident, it seemed like he was at odds with the fans, not through zero fault of his own, by the way, I, I really don't understand like, let's boo Aljamain. And they were literally chanting F you Aljamain last night, which is crazy to me. But, uh, you know, listen, w was the UFC better off with Aldo or McGregor as champion? I, I, I mean, yeah, McGregor is a huge name and obviously he's in a different place than Sean O'Malley is, but I don't think they were rooting for Aldo to lose necessarily. Uh, if we've seen one thing with Connor recently, Connor's like, you know, one in four in his last f five fights or whatever, and he's still a superstar. Like he's still going to sell a million pay per views when he comes back if he ever comes back. Um, so I, I don't think Sean O'Malley needed to become champion to be a star. But let's be honest, this does catapult him into like superstar status, and the bantamweight division is better than it's ever been. And and now Sean O'Malley's champion. Yeah, and I wonder, like, what is Sean O'Malley's ceiling now? Right, like I mean, he just beat Aljamain and Sterling, like. Um, you know, this guy has a high ceiling as a superstar, not just as a fighter, but as a superstar. Um, this guy has a high of a ceiling since maybe Connor. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, and he seems to approach in the right way. I said this kind of jokingly to somebody last night. I was like, O'Malley's kind of like a less problematic Connor. Like, you know, now maybe that'll change. You know, now he's champion. We'll suddenly start seeing his name in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. But, he doesn't, he doesn't, he hasn't done that yet. You know what I mean? Like we haven't had, you know, he, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to go out and get into really bad problems. Um, I, I, again, he seems like everything you'd want. He's colorful. He's flashy. He's outspoken. He's funny. Got an exciting fighting style. Um, and again, he's in the best division at the best time right now. So, uh, I don't know what that ceiling is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to say he's going to sell a million pay-per-views every time, like guaranteed cash the check, like when Connor shows up, but um, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to put him in that upper tier with Israel Adesanya, John Jones, you know, and I think Sean O'Malley is like the next lay, you know, the next level level down. I don't think he's quite to that level. If Connor's number one, I think Izzy and Jones are probably number two, and then I think O'Malley's like in that third level on the way to being in number two. Like his next title defense, if it's a big one, and the Cheeto verified, you know, everyone's freaking out saying Cheeto doesn't deserve it. And he only he lost to Sanhagen. And he just won a 
not the greatest fight in the world against Pedro Munoz, but let's be honest, this is what the UFC feasts on. They feast on storylines, mm-hmm. and this is a storyline. Uh, don't be surprised if at some point in the near future you hear Cheeto Vera's getting a title shot against Sean O'Malley. Yeah, yeah. Keep it real. You want to see it? I want to see it. Right? Like, like we know that Marab is the man in line, deserves a shot. Uh, but I, I want to see him fight. I want to see him fight Cheeto Vera. I know that's going to be a better fight. I, we kind of, I think we kind of know what Marab's going to do. And, you know, until last night, we probably would have all assumed that he'd be successful at doing it, right? And, and now, but now we're all like, well, you know, Sean did it against Aljo. Can he do it the same kind of, uh, you know, wizardry against uh, Marab? Um, you know, I, I'm picking Marab. I think he, most people are probably going to pick Marab for that fight. Um, with Cheeto Vera, you know, we're getting a stand-up war, right? We're getting the fight that we want to see uh, along with the storyline. Yeah, and let's not forget, listen, I talk about, like, the UFC doesn't root one way or the other. Let's be honest, Matt. Like, the UFC... I think they got. I think there was a little frustration there with the whole Aljo Marab situation that they just you know adamantly said we're not fighting. I'm not saying they're going to punish Marab necessarily, but um, Cheeto is the bigger fight. I listen. I Marab is the guy. He should be. Let, let me just be clear about that. Marab yeah. should 100 percent get the title shot. He's earned it. He deserves it. And he's probably stylistically about the worst possible matchup for Sean O'Malley in theory. But at the same time. I said it last night on Twitter. I said, don't be shocked if they grant his wish because him and Cheeto in a rematch, a chance for Sean to avenge his only loss in the UFC. Yes, he did get injured in that fight. and and But, you know, it's not like Cheeto Vera's a bum. You know, Cheeto Vera's still a top five, top six guy in the world. He's still a really, really good bantamweight. So, yeah, I, I just, I don't, like, I don't think anyone should be surprised if we hear an announcement in the next month or two the Sean O'Malley's fighting Cheeto Vera, whether it's on that December pay-per-view or maybe January to headline that card. Like, just don't be – I said this, I said this all last night. I say this all the time, Matt. Strike the word deserves from your vocabulary if you want to be, like, a real MMA fan because you're going to go crazy thinking about these kind of things. Like, in my mind, it's Marab, it's Corey Sanhagen, uh, you know, and I, I haven't looked at the list, and, and Aljamain in a rematch because he was the longest reigning champion. Like, those three all deserve a shot over Cheeto, let's be honest. Yeah. But but yeah, what I'm, does I'm, deserve I'm, even mean now? <laughs> no, that's exactly right. But like I said, I, if I'm, I'm going to watch one of the two fights, uh, you know, they can deserve out of the sentence, I prefer to watch Cheeto versus Sean O'Malley. I mean, would anybody disagree with that? Again, we kind of know what Marab's game plan is going to be, whether he accomplishes it or not. That's the only exciting part of the fight, right? Is is Sean going going to be able to dodge Marab, you know, spamming singles and doubles at him for 25 minutes? You know, is, is he going to be able to catch him on the way in? Is he going to be able to do that? And if he does it, it's going to be insanely exciting. Because like you said, he's a... Uh, Along with Aljo, you got to put him up there as you know one of the top worst matchups in the division. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody's like clamoring to see that fight. But for Cheeto, like like you said, there's a storyline, and the fight itself is an exciting fight, man. That's a good fight, and it's not a guarantee. Let me be let me be clear about this. Like, it is a more favorable matchup for Sean. But don't think you're just going to go out there and just run through Cheeto Vera. Like, Cheeto no, Vera's a no. super tough guy, man. He hits like a horse. 
Um, you're not just going to go out there. Like, this is not like, like when they made Bisping versus Henderson 2, that was all predicated on Bisping getting a chance of revenge after the UFC 100 knockout. Let's be, Dan Henderson wasn't really a number one contender. He wasn't really deserving of a title shot. That was all about Bisping's redemption. Like, let's be honest. This isn't that necessarily. Now, does Cheeto, quote-unquote, deserve the shot? No, he just lost to Corey Sandhagen five months ago, so he doesn't deserve the shot. But he has the storyline, and he is still a top-five, top-six guy in the world. It's not like they're just pulling him out of a hat, and he's he's getting signed to the yeah. UFC because he has a win over. It's He's not Joe Duffy, who had a win over Conor McGregor back in you know Ireland or England or whatever it was, like you know a decade ago. You know what I mean? Like They're not pulling him out of the scrap heap to throw him in there and say, here, this is the guy that beat you. Like He, he beat him in the UFC. Cheeto Vera is still a top-six, you know, top-five, six guy in the world. Um yeah, is it is it? It's not that egregious. Do I disagree with it? Yes, but uh, but also and also let's also let's also remember this. Marab was dealing with an injury. He had a hand surgery. Corey's out for months. We know that he had elbow surgery, so he's going to be out for a while. Um, if Sean really is going to fight in December, January, it's either going to be getting Marab back quickly or go ahead and set up the Cheeto fight yeah. because it's something we can promote now versus later. Yeah, and what's he going to ask for? He's going to ask for Cheeto. We know that. Yeah, and when you get to that superstar status, like it or not, you do get more sway with what you do. I mean, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, it, I know we keep bringing up Connor because this is probably the closest comparison in terms of personality and magnetism, attraction, all those kind of things. But let's not forget the when Connor when Connor started saying, "I want to fight Gaethje instead of Chandler." Did anyone believe there wasn't a chance that could happen? Yeah, of course there was a chance that could happen. It's Connor. You know, of course we believe when Connor says I'm going to beat Chandler and I'm going to go fight for the welterweight title, even though Chandler's clearly not a welterweight, was it? Would anyone be totally shocked that that would be considered? Why do we consider that? Because it's Connor freaking McGregor. He's the biggest star, the biggest draw in the history of the sport. Now, Sean's not there yet. Of course, he just became champion. As I said, I wouldn't put him in that top tier with Connor and or Jones or like Izzy right now. He's not there yet. But he's on his way there, and when you start, when you start pulling, like, I mean, Matt, let's be you and I. Listen, we're Ohio guys, right? Does Steve Miocic truly deserve the title shot against John Jones over over Sergey Pavlovich? No, he lost to Francis two years ago. He hasn't fought since then. But why is it happening? Because this is what John Jones wants. John Jones wants to fight the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, who is still obviously a very good heavyweight, but he hasn't fought since then. This is not Stipe's the most deserved. There's nobody else that Stipe's getting it. No, Pavlovich is the he is the number one contender. We all agree on that. But Stipe's a legend. He's a heavyweight goat. This is the this is the resume that John Jones wants to build. So that's the fight that's happening. Again, we gotta we gotta strike the word deserves. Does Marab deserve it? Is he the number one guy? Absolutely. But if Sean O'Malley goes to Dana White and says, I'm the champ now, uh, I'm I'm representing the UFC, I'm going to bring in pay-per-views, I want to avenge that fight with Cheeto Vera. Is the UFC really going to be like, no, 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 man, you got to fight Marab. That's the only fight we want. Right. right. It's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, you know, I, you, you, I think you're spot on. And I, I think it's going to happen, too. I think that's the fight that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, Marab probably gets the winner. Yeah, Marab, I mean, Marab and Henry Cejudo is still a good fight. I know they were talking about doing that one. 
That's okay. still a fun yeah, fight, yeah. Yeah, that was the fight that they were going to do originally, and then, you know, Marab had his surgery, and then Henry was going to fight Cheeto, and then Henry got injured, so Henry and Cheeto, could, or Henry and uh, Marab could be a fun one. I, I feel bad for Marab because, like, he finally waited for his friend to, like, either leave the division or lose the title. He did, and he's now still stuck in kind of no man's land because it sure looks like Cheeto's going to get the title shot. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what an exciting division, though, right? Like, that's just... uh like you said, man, that division's on fire. And then, you know, even when you, when you talk about the, those top five guys, I mean, can you believe like Peter Yawn is still number five right there? Yeah. Like as good as he is, he's fucking number five. Like what a division, right? Like, like, man, these guys, what a savage division. That's all I can say. Let me just throw this out there right now. I got two words for you, Matt Brown. I got two words for you. Umar for Magomedov. I cannot wait to see this guy. I know he got he had the shoulder injury. He didn't get to fight Corey Sanhagen, but that to me, like that's the boogeyman. That's the guy coming up that I'm like, I can't wait to see what he does against these top guys because Umar Nurmagomedov is a problem. He's like the anti. He's like the he's he's like that's the guy you probably want to keep O'Malley away from. Like that's the guy you're like Umar is a monster. Yeah, yeah. We still got to see what he can do against those top guys, but. Um, Man, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> and you know, there, there's still other guys in that division too that we're not even talking about that are just, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you got to sit here and talk about it like this to remember how savage that division actually is, man. And um, yeah, excited to see the future for that. You like O'Malley's chances to beat Cheeto in the rematch, or do you, do you still do you think Cheeto can get it done again? How do you how do you lean that way? Um, you know, I think Sean be perfectly fine in that fight um i think uh, you know of course with it being cheeto it's uh um it, it's a dangerous dangerous fight but i think also since that last fight i mean sean seems like he's improving every fight he's getting more and more comfortable with being in the ufc and who he is and being a superstar who he is as a fighter like he's really developing very well and it seems to me that every single fight he goes out there he's looking a little bit sharper every time and he keeps passing these tests um, and that's not take anything away from Cheeto because, you know, Cheeto is such a good fighter too, that, but what I, what I'm not seeing out of Cheeto is, a, is a ton of advances. You know, he, I, I see him, he's still kind of the same fighter that he was, um, which may be good enough to beat O'Malley though. You know, that, that's where I can definitely be wrong, but, but I, I just feel like Sean is just firing on all eight cylinders and, um, just getting a little bit better every single time. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I'd favor Sean. You know, I think we saw with Corey Sanhagen what he was able to do to Cheeto, and I think O'Malley has a similar body style, similar uh, striking. I mean, not similar striking, but like similar as in they're both strikers. They got long reach, uh, good precision, good accuracy. Um, you know, and Sean, it wasn't like Sean was doing terribly against Cheeto the last time. He got leg kicked and got hurt and then went down, and then Cheeto finished him on the ground. Um, it was kind of like a bam, bam sequence of things happening. I don't think Cheeto's going to roll over and play dead for Sean O'Malley. I certainly don't think that. And I think Cheeto Vera, just like we saw in the Dominic Cruz fight and we saw in the Rob Font fight, that dude can put you out in an instant. So you cannot play around with a guy like Cheeto Vera. But yeah, I'd favor I'd favor O'Malley. And I think that's probably why I'm like, listen, Marab, not only does Marab earn it, like he's a tougher matchup. Like, let's be honest. I think Marab's a tougher yeah. matchup for just about anybody. But... Like I said, I just got to be honest and like, you know, if, if, if he really wants it, 
I think O'Malley's going to get his wish. He's going to get Cheeto, and and you know, I mean, I don't think the UFC is going to be like, no, 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 we can't do this. Cheeto winning against Munoz absolves him of that. They can't say that you know he's coming off yeah. a loss or you know whatever. He's been inactive. No, he won a fight. He's still a top five guy, and you know that. I, I, I just, I'm, just, I'm just penciling that fight in for like late 2023, early 2024. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. And you know, Sean's going to push for it. He's been pushing for it publicly, so he's going to push for it in private. That fight's probably going to be the one that happens. Um, again, I do lean a little towards Sean. I think Cheeto's a little bit too hittable still. Again, I, I think it, like Cheeto ha- has the potential. He has the skills and the talent to beat Sean O'Malley, uh, but he's got to improve some things a little bit. He's got to, you know, I think he's got to get uh, set a little bit earlier in the fight, um, and I, I think he's got to, um, you know, have a little bit better defense, maybe do a little bit more feigning footworks and stuff. And, uh, you know, and I think he's got a good shot. But, again, I, I, every, I feel like when I see him fight, it's sort of the same fight every time, whereas Sean O'Malley is sort of a step up every time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Obviously, we mentioned Zhang Weili had an incredible performance, dominant performance over Amanda Lemos, the biggest strike differential in women's UFC history, which says a lot. She looked incredible. Uh, obviously, Mario Batista went out there and got a big win over Damon Blackshear. Yeah. That was impressive. And, of course, Cheeto got the win over Pedro Munoz. I wanted to ask you, Matt, though, because we mentioned it before we go on the air here. Another fight that took place in the main car was Ian Machado Gary getting a win over Neil Magny. One of the most bizarre um, rivalries that built up over like two days. Cause like, <laughs> you know, Neil, you train with Neil, you know, like Neil's like the nicest guy in the world. Like Neil is just like, he's just a nice dude. You know what I mean? And like for Ian Gary to get like Neil Magny fired up to where like there, he's flipping him off in the cage and stuff. I'm like, Dude, what did you do? Like, what did you do, Ian? Like, you you somehow turned Neil into like a fired up like bad guy here. Like, what's going on? <laughs> no, that, that's so funny, man. Because knowing Neil as well as I do, that really uh, it really took me back a little bit. But but also, again, I know Neil really well, and as nice as he is, like he has a lot of dog in him too, which we all see in the cage. But you know, as a person too, like he has that dog in him, like. You know, do not take his kindness for weakness. Like he's gonna fire back on anything that you throw at him, verbally or physically. And uh, I think that's, um, you know, maybe he said some of the wrong things because he's not used to trash talking. He's not used to talking shit. 
He's not used to being in that position. He's not used to guys coming at him like that. Um, so maybe he said some of the wrong things that sounded like it maybe got Ian a little bit extra fired up. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what he said. It sounded like Ian was complaining. He said something about his kids or something. He which... said during media day, Neil Magny said something about, I'm going to spank him. I'm going to spank him like a child or something. He's like, and you know, as a father, you know, like, you know, when you get, when you get spanked, it was a weird, like it was Neil's attempt to trash talk and Neil's not a yeah. trash talker. It was just like, exactly. poorly, it was poorly worded. And, and, and Ian Gary just ran with it. And it, Obviously pissed off Neil Magny because he looked like he was really angry about it, and I get it. But Ian just ran with it. Now, here's the one thing I will say, and I'm not. I, listen, Neil Magny took this fight on two weeks' notice. Now, I know I talked to Neil the Friday before the fight happened. He told me point blank as soon as he got home from Jacksonville in his last fight in June, he went right back in the gym. He was training. But again, I'm always cautioned when people say that training in training is different than training for a fight. Matt, you train every day. But you're not training for a fight. But anyway, I'm not making an issue. Two weeks ago, okay, Neil Magny stepped in there. Neil Magny's no, not going to roll over for anybody. Does Ian Gary, I won't say criticism is probably the wrong word, but should we have expected a little bit more out of Ian Gary considering how badly Neil Magny was hurt in that fight? I mean, he was basically hopping around on one leg. Should a, should should Ian Gary have gotten a finish? Should he have gotten a finish? That's a good question. I felt like he probably should have got a finish. Um, but he also did all the right things to get a finish. And Neil just, he's that tough of a guy to finish. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I almost, I don't, I, I would say like Ian should have got the finish, but you can't fault him for not getting the finish at the same time, which is a very contradictory, strange thing to say. But, you know, just knowing Neil train with him, I see, I can get why he didn't get the finish. Um, but uh, I mean, you can't ask. I don't. I don't think you could ask more out of what Ian Carey was doing. He did everything he could, and he fought a flawless fight. I mean, I think it was a 10-8 round every round. So, you know, what more could you ask out of? He just didn't, just couldn't land that one shot to to really, you know, seal the deal and put him away. There were a couple moments where. He, you know, made Neil get back up and stuff. And like, he, he wasn't jumping in when Neil was backed against the cage. And like, part of me is like, good job. Don't overextend yourself. Cause that's when you get caught. Cause we've seen that happen a million times when guys go crazy and spam with punches and then they get caught. So part of yeah. me is like, good job. Not doing that. The other side of me is like, clearly Neil was compromised. Like he was literally fighting off one leg for the last five, six minutes of that fight. Like, you gotta, you gotta kill that guy. Like you gotta put him away. So I'm kind of a two sides. Like I don't fault him. Neil Magny's incredibly tough. Neil Magny doesn't just go away. But at the same time, I'm like, you had the guy hurt. You clearly had him compromised. Like you could have just, you know, thrown leg kicks and just chopped him down and 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 finish. So I'm kind of a two minds. Like I don't think. Again, I don't think it's a critic. I don't think we should criticize him for not getting the finish. But I felt like he could have gotten the finish. I'm basically saying what you're saying. Like I felt like he could have, but I don't really hold it against him. Now here's the question, Matt. Ian Gary is now going to jump in that like top 10 realm of the welterweight division. This was his, his other real team. He beat Daniel Rodriguez, Daniel Rodriguez, super good fighter, but Daniel Rodriguez kind of like on the cusp of top 15, not quite top 15. He goes out there and does that to Neil Magny. He was supposed to fight Jeff Neal. He wanted to fight wonder boy. Dana white claims wonder boy turned it down or doesn't want it, which from my understanding, wonder boy might be in line for the Kamaru Usman fight, which if that's the case, why would he fight Ian Gary? That's my argument. If he's going to get Usman, why would he fight Ian Gary? Be that as it may, how good is Ian Gary? Because 
we're at a time at welterweight where we have some really good prospects. We got Jack Della Maddalena fighting Kevin Holland coming up in September. That's a tremendous fight. I'm really high on Jack Della Maddalena, but Kevin Holland is no joke, man. I'm I'm like I'm not I'm not sold on on Jack Della Maddalena winning that fight. You got Shavkat Rachmanov, who is a monster. Now Hamzat's gone. He's going to middleweight, so that's kind of out of the way now. But how good is Ian Gary? Like, is he a guy we can look at right now and say this guy is going to be challenged for a title? Is he a guy where like he's not quite there yet? Is like where does where like how good is Ian Gary in your mind, Matt? He looked to me like he's going to be a top three guy from that fight there with Neil Magny. Um, you know, it, it's going to come down to some matchups. So I think um, if if you're asking me. To match him up, I'm matching up with Shavkat. I don't think Shavkat has a fight booked, right? They're teammates, though, so I don't know if they'll fight. That's the problem. Oh, it was, I, I said the same thing last night. I matchmaking. I said, ooh, that's a really good one because Shavkat was supposed to fight Kelvin Gastelum. That fight fell apart, and now he doesn't have a fight. It was like immediately, and someone's like, oh, they trained together at Kill Cliff FC. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I forgot about that. So I don't know. I don't know that like they're best friends or anything, but I do know they trained together. So I don't know if they would push for that. They don't have the same manager or anything, so maybe. But um, someone did bring that up to me last night when I suggested the same thing. Okay, yes. I think, yeah, so a lot of people are probably agreeing that that's uh, obvious. Uh, not obvious, but that's a, certainly a good matchup to make test them both, see where they're both at, right? Um, we know how, how good both of them are, but we don't know which guy belongs there and which one doesn't above the other. Um, so I'd be interested to know, yeah, are they teammates or are they training partners? Right? Are they just going to the same gym or are they training together, helping each other out, friends, working with each other? Because um, they're in a situation where both of them, uh, that fight would do wonders for either of those guys. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Ian's ceiling is. Uh, again, uh, watching his fight last weekend, I mean, I'd definitely see him in the top three. Um, I could see him being champion. Um, I haven't really seen his ground game. I haven't watched his fights much, so I'm not sure um, how he can handle a really good wrestler or a really good uh, jiu-jitsu guy. Um I think that's going to be the bigger question coming forward, right? Yeah, I hope. Listen, he he really impressed me last night. Finish aside, I don't care whether you got to finish or not in that way. Like he looked really good because Neil Magny is a really really tough out. Neil Magny is is the is the measuring stick. If you beat Neil Magny, you're probably a top ten welterweight. Like that's pretty much how it goes. Like if you beat Neil Magny, you're a top ten guy. Um, but I hope that they still move him along a little slowly because I don't, I, I don't have the same feeling about Ian Gary that I immediately have with Shavkat. Like with Shavkat, I'm like, this guy is going to be a champion. It's not a matter of when it's, it's, it's not a matter of if it's when I don't quite have that same confidence in Ian Gary quite yet, but that's only because he hasn't had those fights yet. You know what I mean? He's had a, he's only had a few fights in the UFC. I did like the Wonder Boy fight because Wonder Boy is a really, really, really good striker. If you're going to go out there and try to play that same game with Wonder Boy, it might not work out well for you. Look what Wonder Boy did to Kevin Holland. I mean, he just picked him apart. Well, I mean, that was a bad, that was a nasty fight for Wonder Boy. Um, but if I'm Wonder Boy and I have a chance to fight Kamar Usman, why would I fight Ian Gary? Like, why would you even consider that if he gets Kamar Usman, former champion, one of the greatest welterweights of all time, and that's pretty much a guaranteed title fight if you beat Kamar Usman. So. Um, I don't fault Wonderboy if he doesn't take that fight. 
it's hard to say because Gilbert Burns would like right in my head. I'm like, ooh, Gilbert Burns, but they also true. Gilbert was in his corner. Like Gilbert's not going to fight Ian Gary. He was literally cornering him last night, so he's not going to be there. So I don't know. Vicente Luque also trains there. Like he just had a big win over uh, over Rafael dos Anjos. Like in my head, I'm like that would be a fun matchup. But they also train together, so I don't know. Like the matchups that make the most sense for him are kind of tough to match make right now because he doesn't. It doesn't. At least on paper, it looks like he doesn't want to fight those guys but i don't know i mean like i said there's always going to be options out there um magni's a super good test but i like again i like the Shavcat fight and i agree with you it's like are you teammates are you friends or you know do you just run into each other at the gym like which is it you know what i mean because that's four guys from that gym in the top you know top 10 or 12 of the welterweight division at some point you're gonna have to fight each other or you know yeah. or, or or you know or somebody's got to get out of there and just basically say well, we're not gonna fight like i understand um, Vicente and, and uh, Gilbert won't fight. They're like family. Like, they're like literally brothers. I understand. Like, that's a little different dynamic. That's what you said, and I always quote you on this, Matt. You fought training partners, you fought teammates, you never fight a friend. They're different. Like, Vicente and Gilbert, I get. But are Vicente and, and Ian Gary like that? Are Vicente or are Ian Gary and Shavkat like that? Because if not, you know, what are we doing this for? You're doing this to become champion. Well, guess what? That's a tremendous fight. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there because all those guys. He said, it's, "I don't know who's friends, who's training partners, who's doing what there, um, who's gonna coach you, who's you know who's um, got the hierarchy, who's training with each. You know, there's so many little pieces of that puzzle, right? Like, like maybe if you train with the guy some a couple of times, only a couple of times, but you're like, ah, oh, I know that I can get the best of them. It's like you're gonna push for that fight, right? <laughs> you know." Or or vice versa. Maybe he, you know, got the best of you, and you know that he's got uh, your, you know, he's got that a uh, little, got your number, and you, you know, maybe you try to avoid that fight. So, I, I don't know how that plays out, man. But, but either way, he and Gary, his stand up looked absolutely world class, and he looked like he could handle his own with anybody in that division. Um, and I'm not even sure what's going on in the division, honestly. I mean, what who's the who's fighting for the title next? I mean, what do they got? What's the top three, four guys doing? Well, Colby Colby's gonna fight for the title against Leon. We know that. So that's the fight okay. they're making. And Bilal's the number one guy in waiting. So those three guys are kind of out of the picture right now. Um, I just looked at the rankings right now. Uh Hamza's still in there, but we know he's moving to middleweight. So let's take him out of the conversation. You got Gilbert Burns, who I already mentioned. You got Shavkat, you got Wonderboy. Jeff Neal, which did seem like the perfect fight. Maybe they rebooked that because I do think Jeff Neal is a really tough matchup for anybody. Hits like a truck. Really good boxing. Um, that would be a fun fight. Sean Brady is another one that's out there. Sean hasn't fought. Mm-hmm. I know he was supposed to fight. He had a, a staph infection, so he got he wasn't able to fight Jack Della Maddalena. Incredible grappling. Maybe that's the test we need for a guy like Ian Gary, mm-hmm. a guy who can grapple and wrestle and take him down, so maybe it's Sean Brady. There's a couple of matchups still out there before we start really running into these problems. I wouldn't hate if they rebooked a Jeff Neal fight. That was a really good fight. I like that matchup, yeah. um, and I think Jeff Neal's a super tough out, so I think that could be fun. Yeah, that I'm with you. That's the that uh, out of all those guys you mentioned, Jeff Neal's the fight for him to go for at least. Um, Sean Brady, that's a very very tough test for Ian Gary. <laughs> you know, like he did, he couldn't put away Neil Magny, had him hurt multiple times badly. Uh, yeah, Sean Brady's going to be equally as hard to get rid of, even if you're winning the whole time but he can get rid of you at any time also. So that's, 
that, that's a very, very tough matchup for him. Um, I, I'd love to see that. I mean, I think uh, that'd be a, a great test. And um, But I think Sean Brady should be fighting up, though. I don't, I don't think he's, he needs to fight down like that. Uh, well, he's coming, off a, he's coming off a loss. You know, he got beat by Bilal. And so, you know, he was going to fight Jack Della Maddalena, who's behind him. So I wouldn't hate the Ian Gary uh, fight. Fair enough. Bring him that. Yeah, so, fair enough. That uh, was actually what I was going to say next was, was uh, Jack Della Maddalena. Jack Della. I don't know yeah. how to say the rest. Of it. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Jack well, Jack Della and Ian Gary, two surging Jack, guys with a very good, uh, strong stand-up styles. The winner of Jack, because Jack Della is fighting um, Kevin Holland in September. The winner of that fight oh, against yeah, Ian yeah, Gary, yeah. that would be a great one too. The winner of that one against Ian Gary, that could be a tremendous yeah. matchup. Yeah, well, the winner that's probably moving up though, right? And then, well, so. I mean, they're both they're actually they're actually you know uh, right now according to UFC rankings, uh, Machado, excuse me, uh, Kevin Holland's number twelve, Jack Della is fourteen, and then Ian Gary right now is thirteen. Now Neil Magny was eleven, so they're right around each other. They're all around each other. Huh? Yeah, so I'm not opposed yeah. to that fight. Boy, you got a lot of options right there. Is basically yeah. what it is. Yeah, and rebooking Jeff Neal seems like it would make the most sense. So if you're if I'm uh, Ian Machado, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also want to touch on real quick before we get out of here, one other big thing that happened on Saturday. And, of course, Chris Weidman made his long away to return more than two years out of action, made his return, um, lost to Brad Tavares. Not really surprising to me uh, when we did our preview show beforehand with Alan Joban on the show, Matt. I said, listen, I, you, you will not find a bigger Chris Weidman fan than me. I think Chris is a great dude. Um, never, I root for, I rooted for him to come back. Cause it broke my, I talked to him, you know, two weeks after it happened, the surgery, we talked several times during that two years off, did several interviews. Good dude, man. Great. I mean, just a great guy. And you root for people to come back from that. Cause that's such a devastating injury to go through. But if there's one thing we saw, and I, I said, listen, my, the, what heart, what breaks my heart about this whole thing is Chris is coming back at 39 off a really badly broken leg. Um, and it wasn't like he was in his prime when it happened. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like he was in the you know in the, in the run where he was champion. And he got lost because he lost the title because he broke his leg. I'm starting to I'm starting to wonder, Matt. And I don't know that like this is a I don't think this is a controversial statement saying this, but like is that compound fracture that broken? We've seen it now several times. Like if you not like all the time, we've seen it a few times. Is that like the one injury in MMA you may just never come back from the because? Anderson was never the same again. Like he, I'm not saying he didn't have good fights after that, but he never looked the same after that broken leg. He just didn't. And now we've seen Weidman, and he looked tentative. He 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 didn't have the same explosion on his takedowns. Um, he was clearly favoring that leg. Maybe that was just a nerve. I mean, he mentioned he was nervous after the fight. He was a little nervous when he got in there. And then when Tavares started targeting the legs, you could tell it bothered him. Like, I'm starting to wonder, and I, obviously we got to deal with Conor McGregor coming back at 34, 35, dealing with the same kind of injury. Like, that might be the injury, man. Like, not so, I certainly do not root for anyone to not come back from that. But I'm, like, starting to wonder, like, is that the one where you just never come back the same? You, you know, I really don't know, but I'm going to say no. Um, because all of these examples that we're talking about are guys that were had been champion and it happened after they were champion and then tried to come back from it. So, you know, I think the points in their careers that have happened had as much to do with it as um, the actual injury itself. Um, and the one thing that I, I, everything I've been reading on Twitter and people talking about is everything about what Chris Weidman, uh, his leg and Chris Weidman. 
uh, I'm with you. I'm, I love Chris Weidman. Hung out with him a few times. Amazing guy. But I have not heard near the credit for Brad Tavares in this fight. I think Brad Tavares did the right thing, and I give the credit to him uh, more so than Chris Weidman's injury. I think had the injury never happened, the way Brad Tavares looked Saturday and the way that he fought would have won that fight maybe at any time in Chris Weidman's career. Um, I, I thought that Brad just played a perfect game plan and, and landed it perfect. And that lead leg kick, starting it off, I mean, that, that was, you know, it was a perfect game plan and he did it very, very well. So, uh, and Brad's always had great takedown defense, right? Like the, the commentators were talking about it. Like he's always been extremely hard to take down. So it's, you know, it's, it was a bad matchup uh, for Weidman anyway. So, uh, you know, in that respect for, you know, trying to take him down. So, you know, I give credit to Brad Tavares and um, hopefully uh, Weidman can come back and, fight some some more guys and you know I, I don't I don't agree with Dana. I don't think Chris needs to retire. I think he can come back and still do great things, still do big things in the sport. Just don't fight Brad Tavares. The dude's <laughs> a bad matchup for you. Yeah, Brad Brad has nasty leg kicks and Brad is a veteran. Um he's a guy who who he's a guy who could have you could have envisioned fighting Chris Weidman before the injury. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he got this fight because they're trying to give Chris a guy he could beat. Brad Tavares is a tough matchup. I mean, the guy went five rounds with Israel Adesanya. You're not just going to throw out. You're just not going to walk through Brad Tavares on your best night, much less, you know, coming back from two years off with an injury. Um, I don't I don't agree with Dana either in the, in the retirement thing. I mean, listen, Anderson, like when I say that, like, is this an injury you just don't come back from? Maybe, but also, as you mentioned, like age and things play a factor in that. Anderson still won fights after that. Now, did Anderson ever look the same? Anderson's a little different case, too, because Anderson was a kicker. Anderson used his legs a lot more. Chris is more of a wrestler. Uh, Chris was never a guy out there throwing leg kicks, tremendous leg kicks. Did that? That's what happened when he broke his leg, but he's not known as a kicker. That's not really his style. You know, he's not Luke Rockhold. He's not typically known as a kicker. Um, he was off for two and a half years. Like, you know, like, dude, that's yeah. tough to come back from in the best of circumstances, much less when you're dealing with a broken leg and people telling yeah. you, you may never fight again. So and, I don't and, agree. And if he, if he would have gone, if he would have gone out there and got leg kicked again, and his leg broke again, then yeah, maybe I'm like, all no, right, like, yeah. Yeah. but that's not what happened. He got Brad Tavares fought him with the perfect game plan. He was, he made quish, he made Chris question himself a little bit when he took out the other leg. He took out the mm -hmm. left leg. The right leg's the one that was injured. Now Chris is kind of in his own head. You know what I mean? Cause when yeah. you saw when Chris shot early in round one versus what he tried to do in round three were totally different, totally different. Yeah. And so, which again, which again, you got to credit Brad Tavares for yes, that, right? Not, yes. not, not the injury, not the time off. Like he was slower because he got kicked in the leg. And when we talk about Anderson or Connor, those are kind of the two big examples um, outside of, well, the only two examples I can think of outside of Chris Weidman. Like those guys were on incredible, like uh, historic runs and they were going down when they broke their legs. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it wasn't like they were on that incredible historic run, broke their leg and came back. It wasn't like they were on their way up, you know, doing, you know, with all this, uh, you know, momentum behind them, break their leg, and then they, they just got to continue to get back to getting that momentum back. Like, their their uh, career arc was on its way down already. 
Yeah. And also, what, like, I, I've never been a huge proponent of telling guys when to retire outside of one major thing. And the one time I, I typically do this is when it, when it comes to damage. Like, when you're getting knocked out four times in a row, you yes. know, that's when I'm like, you know, I don't want to see you get hurt. Like, I remember years ago when Ken Shamrock was still fighting and he had gotten knocked out badly a couple I'm like, I just don't want to see it anymore. Like, I don't want this guy, when he's 60 years old, not to be able to play with his kids or his grandkids because he took too much damage in the head and he can't, you know, he has no cognitive function function anymore. Um, that's when I start talking about retirement. Like, I don't want to see you take too much damage. But Dana Dana said Joe Lozon should retire. Like, why should Joe Lozon retire? Like, Joe's 39, he just came off a win. Now, Joe has flat out told me, personally numerous times like he's like i may never fight again but i don't know maybe i will like he's not but i don't like that like we're telling people like chris i wouldn't tell chris weidman to retire based off that performance like you know what i mean like if he got if he went out there and he was taking headshots over and over again and getting knocked out like badly like he had a great chin and then suddenly the chin is gone he gets touched and he just goes down maybe we'd have a different discussion but that's not the case here he's 39 he had a he had a fight where he got beat up by a better guy. Brad Tavares is a tough dude. Guess what? There's a lot of guys in the middleweight roster who would lose to Brad Tavares right now. Uh, mm. It wasn't like Brad Tavares was some bum they signed off the streets and he's just like, here, go beat Chris Weidman. No. Brad Tavares is a veteran. He knows what he's doing. And guess what? He had the perfect game plan. Knock off the takedowns and beat up his legs. That's what he should have done. You yeah, know? And that's, how, that's how you beat a boxer wrestler, <laughs> right? So that's why I said you got to give the credit to uh, Brad Tavares. So um yeah so uh, that's that's my two cents on it like you know i think wyman still has a lot left in him um but we got to give credit to brad for this one he went out there executed a, a perfect game plan fought uh a perfect fight can't ask for uh, for more than that so um, where do you where do you fall on the whole like because i get listen i mean i'm not i'm not faulting him i'm not like saying he's a bad guy for this but like where do you fall in the whole Dana White wants guys to retire argument? Because sometimes, like I said, there are times when he says it, and I do agree with him in terms of the damage thing, when a guy's just getting knocked out left, right, and center, and he's just he's not the same guy anymore. I get that. But I'm not a big, like, Joe Lozon. I was like, why, why are we, like, where did that come from? Joe's 30. Like, it's not like Joe's, like, super active or anything, but, like, why? And, then, and again, do I understand caring about Weidman because, you know, you don't want to see the guy get hurt? Sure, but he broke his leg. If he had, like, a, you know, a brain bleed or something like that, we're having a much different discussion from, like, taking yeah. too many punches. That's not the case. Like, I kind of – I get it. Like, Dana's certainly allowed to have his opinion, but I also – I've said this for years. Like, I'm not a big fan of telling guys when they should retire um, because, you know, unless unless it's a damage thing, unless it's, like, a brain injury kind of thing – that to me is a different conversation, but that's not the conversation we're having about Chris Weidman or Joe Lozon for that matter. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have much else to add to that because I very much agree with you. And I'm not sure why uh, Dana is saying that, but yeah, you said he's entitled to his own opinion and, you know, Dana's a strong opinionated guy and, you know, just kind of is what it is, you know? And I think also Dana's, you know, he, he likes to see guys, um, performing at their best too right especially the guys that he likes i mean he doesn't like seeing guys go out there and not perform at their best and um that's why you know i can't say it too many times like i think it was brad tavares i think chris weidman was performing or had the potential to perform very well but brad tavares took that away from him. it wasn't chris weidman uh, not going out and uh you know being injured or whatever it was simply brad tavares was on point that night yeah and also 
we got to remember, you know, no one's sitting here saying Weidman should be fighting, uh, you know, he should be fighting Jared Cannon here tomorrow. He should be fighting Marvin Vittori tomorrow. He should be fighting, uh, you know, uh, the top middleweights in the world. No one's saying that, you know, Chris Weidman should be out there fighting uh, Dracus Duplessis or Rob Whitaker. No one's calling for those fights. You know what I mean? Like, there are other middleweights for Chris Weidman to fight that I think Chris Weidman could beat. Uh did he did he have ring rust? Did he have things like that? Sure. He, I mean, you're out for two and a half years. How are you not going to be affected a little bit? And also, again, kicking in the gym is not kicking in a fight. You know, when you kick a pad or whatever, you're still not getting the same impact as kicking a human being. You know, and when you're in the gym, Matt, like you don't kick your training partners with full force trying to knock their head off. Like it's just a different feeling. So, you know, and Brad Tavares is a tough guy. It was just a it was a it was a a bad combination of factors. For Chris Weidman to come back, but I, I don't think we need to anoint him like he's done. Like I, I he also made it to decision. He his his leg was badly compromised, and he still fought his way to the decision. Like he didn't give up. He could have just laid down, rolled over, and let Brad Tavares finish him. He didn't do that. He stuck around to the end. So I think Chris Weidman still has some fight left in him. I don't think we need to tell him to retire. I'm not not saying he's going to be fighting for the title anytime soon, if ever again. But uh, are there fights out there that, that Chris Weidman could win? Hundred percent. Yep, I couldn't agree more. And I still think he can do big things. I think he can get back to the top 10. I think he has that in him to do it. Um, it's just going to be a very long road now. Yeah, I mean, you look at the top, look at the top 15 at, at, at the middle way right now. I mean, one of the guys in that list is Kelvin Gastelum still. Uh, he has a winner for Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, Jack Hermanson, that could be a fun fight. Jack's a good grappler. Like, Jack, and I'm not, and I'm saying they should make that matchup. I'm saying, like, that's a fun fight. Paul Craig, long grappler. Now he's in the division. Yeah. That could be fun. I don't know. If I, uh, Chris Curtis might be a little tougher, but Andre Muniz. Good grappler, high level Brazilian jiu jitsu guy. That could be a fun fight for a while. Like, and those are top fifteen guys. I'm not even saying like guys outside the top fifteen, but I'm saying like, are you going to tell me there's not a there's not two or three fights on the UFC roster Chris Weidman can win? No, I would 100 pick him in some of those fights. He just he ran into a he ran into a bulldozer last night named Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares beat him. That's it. Uh, yep, yeah. <laughs> Brad was on point, man. Like so, I just I I, I think people should stop talking about. Wyman's injury and I think Chris would say the same thing I think he would sit here right now and I think he would say the exact same thing look he I bet he felt good going in there I, I bet everything was on point in his training camp and his nutrition and he had a night against a guy who was better than him that night yeah nothing wrong with that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that that's the sport um yeah, so it's going to be interesting, like I said, where he goes from here. And, uh, yeah, fun night. It was a weird one. Like I said, there was a lot of decisions on the main card until Sean O'Malley got to finish, but overall, pretty fun night. You stayed up to watch the entire card. I was shocked about that. Yeah, that's a rare thing. <laughs> but it was only because – so I actually watched most of them driving back. I had a seminar in Kentucky and was driving back. It was about a five-hour drive. We started – and I was watching while I was driving – which I don't suggest anybody do because you probably <laughs> die. But, you know, I gave my life to the sport and that's, you know, that's how I roll. Yeah, no, I get it. That's the, yeah, you literally give your life to the sport in one way or the other. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So now you're, you're back, you're back, you're back with the tag, back from vacation, back in training, back at, back at the Immortal Martial Arts Center. I trained while I was on vacation. <laughs> and, you know, I don't stop, man. That's just, it's like eating breakfast or brushing my teeth. I get up and that's what I do. So, yeah, yeah we're having fun with it, um, staying in training. I'm going to decide pretty soon if I'm going to fight again this year, and we'll kind of go from there. 
Yeah, I still, did I tell you, I still think UFC 300 next year is the one to go for. Not to say you can't fight both, but I'm just saying, like, that's the one, man. I still, dude, I'm pushing so hard for you and Jim Miller to fight at UFC 300. Like, I'm playing full on Sean Shelby matchmaker. I'm like, that just, that, that's such a fun fight, man. Like, that's the one you made. And that's, uh, not to go back to the Weidman thing or even Joe Lozon, like, those are like that's the kind of like i want to see those kind of fights like i'm not saying because you fought the young guys obviously you fought the younger fighters you've never turned down a fight but like you and jim miller special like you know what i mean like, that's the kind of special fight like i like so like you and court mcgee is a fun fight two veterans you know guys have been out there guys have earned their spots um again i know you'll fight whoever but like those are fun fights those are fights that mean something yeah yeah most of it happens like 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 you said i not a big guy. Uh, I'm not big on like picking the next fight or anything. So, um, we'll, we'll see. Maybe it'll be 300 or maybe it'll be sometime this year. But I'm yeah. going to start getting into uh, better shape, start getting ready for, you know, ready to get ready is what I like to call it. You know, yeah. I'm generally pretty ready, but I'm going to start getting the weight down a little more, start, um, getting the discipline back together a little better. Cause right now, that's the big difference, right? Is, I train every day because I just love training and there's really not anything else that I want to do. Um, but it's different when you kind of start thinking about having a fight or getting into camp where it's, it's an actual discipline thing. Cause there are days where like, yeah, maybe I'll go, you know, I don't know, go to the mall, which uh, I don't know why I'd say I never go to the fucking mall, you know, <laughs> but there, you know, like, like maybe I'll go do, you know, something, right? Something else. Uh, maybe I'll sit at home, play guitar today. Right. Uh, but when I'm, you know, getting ready for a fight or in camp or getting ready for camp, that means no, uh, we're going every day. Um, we're getting regimented and we're putting in time and we're going to be guaranteed that we're going to be ready. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I understand. That's what I was saying. Like, again, not certainly not making excuses, but like Neil Magny training and Neil Magny training for a fight. There's two different things. Yeah. Like you train every day, but you're still not training for a fight. Like that's a different yeah. kind of, that's a different level of training. Yeah. Training for fun and training for a fight are two very, very different things. And uh, you know, a lot of it's just the, the training partners that you're going with or the amount that you're pushing each other. You know, if you're trying to improve and get better, if you're trying to help everybody else, like, you know, Neil's certainly that nice guy that's going to be helping all of his training partners get ready for their fights. Uh, versus, you know, being maybe a little bit more selfish and a little more self-centered and, you know, picking your training partners that are going to push you a little more and being a little bit more specific about what you're doing and being more regimented about things. Yeah, there's a lot of differences. Um, but guys like me and, you know, I know just like Neil too, he's the same way. Like we're in the gym every day. We love this shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But like I said, it's different than when you're actually getting ready for a fight. I know I did. I see on your Instagram, uh, Josiah Harrell's back in the gym too. Yeah. You know, Josiah never really took any time off. And uh, the first day he came back, I was like, bro, you sure, man? Like, I don't know. I can't punch you. And he kind of explained to me everything that's going on and you know, he can't get knocked out is the thing. So as long as he doesn't get knocked out, it's perfectly fine. So we keeping the training going, we'll be training tomorrow. And you know, he's going to be, he's going to do big things, man. Like the, I, I look forward to watching his career progress. Yeah. He seems like a super good prospect. And it sounds like and from everything I've heard, like he will fight again. It's just a matter of timing and everything, but um, yeah. you know, credit to the UFC. Like I said, man, that's a scary situation. 
that they had to catch on to, but, you know, better for him in the long term. And he's still on the roster. You know, he's still in the UFC. It's just a matter of when he'll get a chance to fight. So uh, I saw him back in the gym, which was cool to see, because like I said, you're always, again, you certainly root for guys, especially when they're going through something like that. And it uh, seems like he's doing well, and hopefully we'll see him fight maybe 2024. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think he stayed in the gym the whole time, even when he came back from uh, Vegas and everything, um, when he was supposed to fight Jack Della. But, uh, you know, my gym is actually a long drive for him. So, uh, you know, I think he took the time off where he was like, okay, well, I'm not going to drive that, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, that was kind of his time off. He stayed at his home gym that he's trained at for the last, you know, 10 years or however long he's been training and, you know, did his work at home. Yeah. And then Mark Coleman's boxing in October. There's that coming up too. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen watching this guy transform. Uh, we've all been watching on social media. I'm sure you have. I oh have. yeah. And the transformation is legit, man. It's real. And you watching him hit the bag. I mean, it, it's, it's just scary, man. Like the guy's got so much freaking power. My, my dude, if you would have picked up boxing when you were a kid versus wrestling, you would have been a world champion at that too. So, you know, just a freak athlete, man. And he's got more energy at 57 than I think I have now <laughs> or even when I was 25. So, you know, I, I love what he's doing and I can't wait to watch this fight go down. You going down with him? Is it, is it in Florida? Is that where the fight's at in Florida? Uh, we haven't even talked about it yet. I think it's uh, in Florida. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned anything about it. I don't know. Yeah, I, he looks incredible shape, man. He's really transformed his body. I mean, he looks incredible shape for 57. All the things he's gone through, man. I mean, it's natural that I'm rooting for him, like I said, and that's just awesome to see. He seems healthy and happy, and that's all that really matters. That's all that matters, man. It's going to be a great time. And I, I know this guy's fighting as a former pro boxer, Montel Griffin, um, and everybody's kind of counting Coleman out. But I'll tell you what, if Coleman lands one of them fucking ham hocks on you, <laughs> That son of a bitch is going down. I don't care who he is. Like that, Mark does some bitch. Coleman can punch like a motherfucker. <laughs> he's gonna turn. He's gonna turn Montel Griffin into the Hammer House uh, body bag. The, the old Hammer House. The old Hammer House bag. He's the chucker <laughs> on there. That's what he's gonna turn him into. Dude, it's, just, it's gonna be interesting, man. I'm, I can't wait for it, man. I'm, I, Coleman's gonna be so happy. You know, and that's what it's all about. You know, he's been down in the gutter for, what, 10, 12 years now. So um, he's getting a kick out of it, and he's going to have a great time, and that's what matters. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. We got fights again coming up this weekend from Singapore. Max Holloway's back in action against the Korean Zombie. That should be a fun one. Uh, Aaron Blanchfield taking on Tyler Santos. So a couple good cards. Early, it's a, it's a Matt Brown start time, 8 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. So it's a Matt Brown uh, fight card. That's what I like to see, man. That's my favorite time. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about all that next week, that, obviously. What, what's that? Is that going to be on Sunday morning or Saturday morning? Saturday morning. Saturday morning starting at 8 a.m. Eastern. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, so we got that that next weekend, and then obviously fights come up September. Of course, we got uh, UFC 293. Actually, only a couple weeks away now. Israel Adesanya and Sean Strickland. That's September 10th, I think, or 9th or something. 9th, I think it's 9th, September 9th. So it's only a couple weeks away. So lots of stuff coming up in the near future. Uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about. Matt, what else you got going on? People want to check you out, support you. Now that you're back for vacation, you're back for the attack. Uh, where can people check you out at? You know, man, at I'm the Immortal, Instagram and Twitter, at the Immortal Coffee, Instagram and Twitter, and No Crash Coffee. Let's go. I love it. 
Everyone, we appreciate you tuning in, uh, tuning in as always. We appreciate uh, the support as always. Uh, good to have Matt back after a couple weeks off. I don't like to give him very much downtime, so you know, he has to escape me every now and again, so I have to pull him back in for the podcast. So I uh, appreciate everyone tuning in as always. Make sure you check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We'll see you next week for another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.